Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. What do you think they liked? Do you think they liked our real ads? I, I hope so. I mean, I, I liked them. I enjoyed you know, recording them, but maybe they don't. Well, you know, we had to take one more break just so we could fill it in there. But before we get into this week's changeover chat, we do want to give one special shout out to our super producer, Max Fligner himself, mm-hmm. who, with his Dartmouth team, took on Columbia this weekend and gave Columbia their first Ivy League loss since 2012. This weekend, Max plays Penn and Princeton, and should they take care of business, they would win an Ivy League title, which would be a huge deal as Max is a senior. Not, not as cool as a club tennis national championship, but, <laughs> but at least we'll give now, him some credit. He definitely has some standing in these arguments. Right, now. right. You know, now he's not just like the outstander, you know, yeah, the exactly. I mean, outstander. I mean, Jesus but Christ. we beat Yale and Harvard, right? So we're still Ivy League supreme. We're, on we're our better run. than him, is what we're saying. <laughs> I mean, he still has NCAA, so I suppose there's time, but still, shout out to him. I want to save the full story for when we get him back on the pod, but let's just say his match against columbia very interesting so shout out to max fligner special hey great shot to him and actually let's give him a round of applause okay maxi we've had to stretch this into a part four because we wanted to have a special changeover chat this week before we do that you know we got to cue the drum roll please it's time for this week's changeover chat the changeover chat it gets better and better every time thank you so we do have one long gimmick that we want to do for this changeover chat but before that you know i always have to ask you a fun question a little gimmick on the side my question to you is given what we've seen through miami whose 2018 season would you rather have he chung's or juan martin del potro's I think I have to go with Chung. Really? I do. And maybe that's just because we've already seen Delpo win a Grand Slam. And, you know, it's great for him to have this comeback year. You know, he's definitely been needing it. And I think a lot of people have been expecting this for some time now. But Chung is just exciting. You know, the way he plays, he's consistently getting comfortable wins over guys in the top 50, 40. Um, You know, I'm really watching them out there and I'm thinking hey this is a guy that's really going to make it far in the next couple years and so um, you know obviously the success he's had the last few months has been undeniable and I would love to be in his shoes right now. There is something to being the new guy on the block and just that experience of seeing it for the first time. Oh, of course. Being able to project the next 10 years of Hyun Chung's future. But I think there is a rarefied quality about Juan Martin Del Potro's game. You know, he's been injured for so long. And just to see him come back to adapt his game to utilizing the backhand slice because he has to more. And then still just to play that huge serve, huge forehand tennis. His forehand might be the most unique stroke in the game. Just the way he He's able to club the ball inside in down the line. You know, if you leave him a high ball, he's going to put it away with his forehand. And in terms of his results this year, you look through them, you know, final in the first week of the year in Auckland. Yes, he loses a disappointing round of 32 match at the Australian Open and, you know, loses a fun one we enjoyed to Tiafo and Delray Beach. But since that time, wins Acapulco, wins Indian Wells, loses in the semifinals to John Isner, who's just serving, you know, balls out the entire tournament 
that is an incredible three-week run. And if you had any questions about does Del Potro have the fitness? Oh, sorry, not three-week, five-week run because those Indian Well events are two weeks long. And so if you're questioning his fitness beforehand, you can't anymore. And for him at 29 to have that confidence again – that's the season I'd want, where you say, okay, I'm at the peak of my powers. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. I mean, if you also look at the last five weeks for Chung, you know, in making quarterfinals of both Indian Wells and Miami, um, you know, unfortunate losses to Fed and Isner, who were both playing outstanding in those tournaments. Uh, but you can't, you know, forget about his Aussie Open run and, you know, having that was so unbelievable, especially taking out Zverev and Djokovic in that tournament. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to go ahead and counter myself and say <laughs> Delpo has two titles and Chung has zero. So you look at their records: Chung 18 and seven, Delpo 21 and four. Delpo's up to six in the world. He's made 2.2 million this year, and that's not even counting you know Argentinian taxes. God knows what that is. But still, you look at their records: Chung 18 and seven. He's made 1.1 million, which for someone who's what 21 he, he's years 21, old, man. Yeah, that's a nice. And you're not even counting the new sponsors he's made oh. along the way. But Delpo. 21 and 4, up to number 6 in the world. It's made $2.2 million. That's without the endorsements. You know, he's a darling for Nike. And to quote you, Spanish sex appeal is in his, it, he, Del Potro, that's him in his prime. That's fair, but just wait until Chung gets those braces off and <laughs> damn, ladies are coming after him. Give him a little hand raise in the club, the oh, fresh yeah. white teeth. Oh, yeah. He's going to rock. I mean, dude, he's got Lacoste right now. He rock, can you imagine him walking into a club just decked out in Lacoste? Uh, that is a panty I feel like dropper. He's definitely I will got tell the Samsung logo on all of his clothing as well, and so you know that's a little extra dough in his pocket. I'll also say for Chung, it's okay that he hasn't had the better season at this point because his best tennis is still ahead of him. And Absolutely, it's only going to get better from here. And so, one point one million at this point of the year, not too shabby. No, not at all. Okay, it's time to get into the meat and potatoes of this changeover, Chad. We have seen a lot of tennis. In fact, I would say it's been, what, about a quarter of the season so far? We're yeah. going, you know, you're done with the winter hard court season. Now we have the clay, the clay courts, then the short grass, then the long summer hard court season. So, yeah, about a quarter of the way done. You and I are a next-gen focused podcast, and in our next-gen series, we've had an ongoing power ranking where we rank just the American guys based on their current level and where we project them for the future. I wanted to do something a little bit similar in this changeover chat, but I wanted to expand our clientele. So what we're going to be doing now is breaking down all of the next-gen guys, and we've expanded the next-gen field to 1995 because that's the year I was born, and I feel like I'm still young, I'm still up and coming, so we're going to include tennis players my age in that category as well. Fair? I mean, that sounds like a good plan to me. You think I'm up and coming? I appreciate it. (laughs) I mean, we all know the 96 guys are better than the 95 guys, but... You know, I love you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have this one, and we'll include the 95 Shouts guys. To, if Noah Rubin and Chris Eubanks ever encounter you at an event, hopefully me and those two will gang up. Oh, no, I think Rubin's a 96. Rubin is I'm, 96. Me and Eubanks will have to team up on you, do our thing. Who wins in a fight, me and Rubin versus you? <laughs> you and Eubanks. Well, we're the taller group, so we'll take it just because we have a little bit of size. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're both more athletic so than you guys. Oh, so. wow, you're saying Noah Rubin is more athletic than Chris Eubanks? I'm saying I'm more athletic than Chris Eubanks, so let's and save he's more athletic than you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But let's save this debate for our tiers. This is a perfect segue. So like we mentioned, we're breaking down these prospects into four tiers. We'll explain each tier as we go along, but we're basically dividing them into where we project them into the future, whether it's 
Grand Slam champion or number one in the world, whether we think they can compete for maybe a miscellaneous slam, a top 20 player, a top 40 player. Those are the general outlines of our tiers. Again, we'll get into them more specifically as we go along. But Max, I asked you to compile a separate list from my own. I was hoping you haven't seen mine, so I sent you a bogey list with just all of the players, and I've changed the order since, so we don't know each other's answers. This will be a natural live debate, so you know, keep the swearing to a minimum, please. Uh, but let's get right into it. I can't make any it. promises. So will you explain how we came up with the criteria for each of our tiers? Yeah, definitely. Well, so, I mean, there wasn't too much discussion. I think, you know, it's kind of clear where in the rankings there's, um, you know, a distinguishable difference between the quality of player. And so we broke it down into four tiers. In our tier one, we have players that could be number one in the world, have that potential, and have the possibility of multiple slam titles in the future. Um, kind of think about the big four. In our tier two... Shouts to Murray. <laughs> yeah. In our tier two, someone who will consistently be in the top eight, you know, has that capability of stealing a slam. Think, you know, Warinka or a Burditch kind of player. Um, Not I'll, necessarily game styles, but that sort of career trajectory. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we move on to tier three, someone who's going to be in the top 20. Uh, definitely will have title wins in the ATP 250s and 500s. You know, might be able to swing a thousand in there. Uh, but, you know, think about the Isners and the Batista Goots um, that, you know... For, for their kind of career trajectory. For people a little bit older, think Jill Simone, maybe Fernando sure, Verdasco, maybe even a Monfils. Oh, Monfils. Well, Monfils got a little... I would say Monfils, Monfils is right on in that between border. two and yeah. three. Exa- we probably would have projected him in tier two back in the day, exactly. given his junior success. Um, and then we move on to tier four. <laughs> Let's you know, just debate Monfils. <laughs> I really could. I, was, I, I needed to move on, otherwise we would have talked about that too long. Um <laughs> But on to tier four, someone who will, you know, ideally be in the top 40 around that area, uh, seated at smaller events, uh, but, you know, not necessarily taking titles. So, you know, think about guys like Kohlschreiber, Verdasco, Dolgopolov. Um, Ooh, Dolgopolov. That's a good throwback. What about Paul and Rima, too? Sure. Guys like Bobby Reynolds. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean... I mean, even a Stevie even D- Johnson. Yeah, Stevie Johnson. Summer. I was going to say, like, a, a Donald successful Donald, Donald Young. Which, you know, <laughs> Although, we're, we're recording this a bit later, so I've seen a bit of tennis since Miami, but do you know that Kozlov took out Donald Young 4-4 four and four yesterday? Yeah, that he did. It was such bad tennis. Donald <laughs> Young did not look good. I feel bad he's fallen out of the top 100. He's I know this is a not segue, had a good but season. he has not had a good season. That's a topic for another time. But, okay, let's get into these players in each tier. Obviously, we're top dogs, so let's start with Tier 1. And I think our first disagreement will come in this tier because while we don't know each other's players, I know you have two players in this tier while I only have one. So my guy is Alex Zverev. Is he one of yours as well? Yeah, he is. I mean, he obviously has to be. With where he's at currently in the rankings and just the success he's had over the last two years, it's clear that he has the capability of being number one in the world, especially as a lot of these older guys start, you know, considering retirement and, and moving out of the competition and the playing field. He has a clear chance of being number one in the world and taking some Grand Slams. Zverev ranked number three in the world right now. You look at his 2017, he had five titles, two of them Masters events, one in Rome, the other in Canada. So, you know, that's one on clay and one on hard court. He's shown the ability to thrive on many surfaces. And the one thing we haven't seen, he still hasn't made it to the second week of a Grand Slam. The reason why I'm okay with that is you look at his points, he's still managed to make it to three in the world, and that's the testament to the success he's had week in, week out. And we talked about in the Alcapoco, yeah, he should be beating a player like Juan Martin Del Potro if he wants to really be a top five guy, but he might not be there yet. And 
his ranking is more of a result of a the dearth of top players on tour right now and all of these injuries maybe than him being in his top five form. But not to get things confused, I know that's a long rant. There's still so much upside remaining. He's what twenty years old. Yeah, he's and, literally twenty years. And old. then uh, I think he actually, fun fact, he turns twenty-one tomorrow. So happy early happy birthday early to birthday. you, Sasha Zverev. But yeah, just the upside is tremendous. He's six-six. He moves so well. He is a better Burdich. Wow, that's that's uh, a imagine a Burdich just who moves that much little better. He's the less robotic, yeah. more feel. I would agree with that, and I think the thing that I need to see from him, and like I said, I agree. I don't, I'm not super worried about him not making a second week of a Grand Slam. He's got a couple ATP 1000 titles, and you know, besides the fact that those aren't necessarily as long of a tournament as a Grand Slam, well, they're two so, weeks. You know, yeah, but they, it's two out of three sets. Right, it, it, that's what I meant by as long. It's not as grueling. Okay. I, I think you know he has a couple ATP 1000 titles. Um, so I think, you know, we just need to see him have a little more consistency. There are still some times where he loses matches to players that I don't think he should, especially for someone ranked four or three or four in the world. Last year, he was losing matches in the summer to Tiafo, to Chorich, to Duzmir. He's lost matches to Haas. Um, you know, these are guys that, of course, are, are good players and have the capability of taking matches from a guy like Zverev, but if he's going to be that number one in the world and win Grand Slams, he's got to be more dominant and more consistent than that. You look at his best results from this year. He lost to Chung at the Australian Open, but that was before we knew it was Chung's year. Yeah. So I don't think that's a bad loss. No, it's not. Yeah, it's just, a, you know, I would have liked, you know, it's a five-setter. I would have liked to see him fight a little bit harder, and the fact that he lost the fifth 6-0 is not good. But still, not a terrible way to start the year. No, he, but... Right, not a terrible way to start the year, but then, you know, he's got Indian Wells, loses to Joe Sousa in three sets, and that's just not a first round. That's not a match you should lose. Good bounce back coming to Miami and making the finals. Uh, but again, this is the lack of consistency and, and hopefully, you know, starts to get a little bit better with that in the future. I agree with you. He also beat Kyrgios this year in Davis Cup and Nadal kind of took it to him last weekend, you know, on the red clay. Not necessarily a good thing considering the French Opens also on the dirt. I think, again, it's a matter of when, not if. And it's like with Murray. You knew he was going to get a slam. It's just, it will happen. Exactly. And so, like, I think we agree enough on Zverev, but the other person that I have in my top tier is Chung. Now, really, seriously, the, the reason I have him there is, one, he's already proven that coming into the ATP circuit at a young age has already made a semifinals. That's farther than Zverev has gotten. Now, he's shown that he has the maturity in this year. He really has started to develop this dominant presence. If you look at his wins, he's taking out guys in the top 100 pretty... Yeah, but to be in Tier 1, you would have expected him to be beating guys in the top 100 already. Exactly, and, and I'm saying that But he's... what about the top 50 and the top 20? You know, his performances against Federer, Australian Open aside, not the type of performance... Taking out Burdich 4-4, four four, Cuevas 1-3. He's taking out guys like De Young and Ernesto easily, you know, straight set wins, close matches with Kevin Anderson. Uh, he takes out Djokovic and Zverev in Australian Open. I mean, you know, he takes out Isner... 
Um, but he did lose to Francis Tiafo at Delray, and it, that's his did. equivalent of the Zverev. Zverev loses to Chung, like Chung loses to Tiafo. However, I will say that is his only real loss. I would say this year that has been a fluke, you know, quote unquote fluke. He lost to Edmund in three in Brisbane. Lost to Ferrer in Auckland. None of these are flukes. Look, the guy is eighteen and seven on the year. That's the type of results you want to have. And he made a semifinal of the Australian Open, a better result than any of these other next gen guys on tour. It's funny, though, because I actually have him as number three overall and the second prospect in my tier two. I had Nick Kyrgios right on the bubble between tier one and tier two, and here's why. We, we've we seen Kyrgios play the type of tennis that is just elite. He has the type of weapons where if he is locked in, focused, and striking the ball well, he'll win. His game is that overpowering and that dominating, and he has you know, the returns. Yes, he gets sloppy with it. He takes them early, but that's how he stays engaged in the match, and he has the hands to move forward and take balls on the rise. I I know this that, is getting a bit I, ranting. No, but... I mean, I, I hear you. Look, he has all the intangibles. Kyrgios you know, really should be one of the top three players in the world. He's stupidly athletic. He has a huge serve, huge forehand. He moves really well for his size, but he just simply doesn't have the mental game. And we know how important the mental game is to tennis. And we've just seen him not be able to be consistent enough to break into that top five in the world and make it far enough in a grand slam. I just, unless something drastically changes in his in his body language on court and his ability to control himself, I, I don't see him being number one in the world so or Kyr- winning a Grand Slam. Kyrgios right now, 22 years old. Another guy's got a birthday this month, so happy early birthday to you, Nick Kyrgios. You know, he, he is a little bit older than these other prospects, 11-4 and four on the year, but has won a title. You know, he played so well during his run to the Brisbane title, took out Dimitrov in three sets in that semifinal match. I know we talked about that in an earlier podcast, and that was, so, you know, that's the type of tennis we've seen that he's capable of that not many other guys on tour are. And that's why when you talk about upside in terms of these prospect rankings, I have to have him at number two. Like you've mentioned, the injuries are an issue. You know, he's not on court as often as some of these other guys like the Chungs and the Zverev. But just in terms of pure upside, that's why the injuries make him not tier one. But pure, if he plays his best tennis, he's got to be right near the top. See, and that's fair. I, I think if I had to actually rank the players. It's funny, I would do Zverev, Kyrgios, Chung. I just still think there's this mental factor that separates him from being in the tier one, whereas Chung has the mental factor and has shown the capability to be number one in the world with his Australian Open success and just with his recent dominance in the last couple tournaments. Um, so again, Kyrgios as a player, might have to put him above Chung. Capability for the future, have to give Chung. We should move on, but in terms of longevity, I agree with you. You got you have to factor that in, and if I had to place a bet, who's going to be in the top 10 in 2024, you know, six years from now? Probably Chung, because he'll be in the you know 27 years old. He'll be physically in his prime, probably playing some tremendous tennis. Curious, you worry with the shoulder and with the knee and just everything. You know, he could have a Del Potro-like career where he's in and out and he's playing really well when he's playing, but it's just not that often. Yeah, and that's fair, and... <laughs> You know, before we move on, I think, to be completely honest, I don't think he cares that much. Kyrgios (laughs) has made jokes that he wished he had gone to be a professional basketball player, and I think he's just happy making a couple million dollars each year, making it pretty far in these tournaments. I mean, we've seen him straight up quit on court. So like I said, unless something drastically changes, I don't see him getting very far. But 
for the other tier two guys that I have... How many do you have? I got three total, Kyrgios being one of them. So you have five guys in your first two tiers. Yes, sir. Interesting. So I have four. So you had Chung in the top. That means you have one additional guy. Do we both have Chorich in this tier we two? We do. Okay, do we want to do a quick second? We talked about him a lot during his Indian Wells run. Yeah, I mean, bottom line, the guy has had some great wins. He's... Physical clearly shown. upside, Oh, incredible. yeah, he's one of the more fit guys out there. Djokovic-esque backhand, and Absolutely. I don't say that lightly. And just the way he's competed with the top guys, I mean, he clearly has the potential to be in that top eight. It's just whether he's going to be, again, it's just a matter of this consistency factor. It's hard to know with some of these younger guys if they're going to be able to keep this up Well, in the that's future. why we have this as tier two, because when I'm projecting these tier two guys, you talk about guys like Burdich and talk about a guy like Ferrer. If I'm pathing out Chorich's and Chung's career, I see more Ferrer-esque where it's durability week in, week out because they're so physically fit. They can go on the type of runs for tournaments where they just outlast the other guys on tour because they're that dedicated to their fitness and mm-hmm. that's just their gift. And so that's what separates these guys, like we mentioned, for Tier 1 or for Tier 2 Kyrgios. It's the weapons. He has just such upside and it's just the miscellaneous stuff you worry about. So that's why these guys are special. Who's your fifth guy? I have Shapovalov really? as my fifth I'm, guy. I'm so happy because this is a perfect transition to Tier 3, and as I'll remind you, Tier 3 is a sure guy. I'm sure your top guy in Tier 3. So those are the top 20 players, the guys we think will win multiple ATP titles at the 250 and 500 level, maybe sneak out a Masters or a deep second-week run. Shapovalov is so young that just in terms of projecting his physical upside, how he'll stand up on clay with that one-handed backhand, I'm just not ready to put him in Tier 2. See, and that's where I just disagree. I think, you know, we've seen him get good wins. If you look back at his U.S. Open this past year, taking out Joe Willie Sanga in straight sets, then takes out Edmund and had a really great match with Carreño Busta. Uh, you know, look, look at his game. Look at the game style that he has. It is a, the type of style that, one, at times replicates Nadal in the way that he pulls people off the court, but he also has some intangibles. The dude is so fast very athletic, has hands for volleys. I think he just has the type of game that, you know, in the future, as he becomes more physically developed, is going to be even better than he is now. And look, like you said, the kid is 19 years old. He turned pro last year, and he's ranked 40 in the world. I mean, he has the potential to be in that top eight. I'm not saying he's going to, you know, win a Grand Slam yet, but that top eight is there. He's going to contend, and he's going to be up there. He had a lot of world tour finals. Absolutely. See, I could, I 100% agree with you. That is a totally reasonable projection for his career, and that's why I struggled with this decision, and I kind of put him back and forth between tiers two and three. And one match I turned to, you know, we talked about this earlier, but his match in Miami against Chorich, Shabaval is only six foot, and so while he will physically develop, there's only so, you know, he'll only have so much length and so much speed compared to a guy who's a little bit taller. And you look, or just in general, a guy like George, who's you know six two, kind of moves a little bit better side to side. He just outlasted Shapovalov. Shapovalov didn't have quite enough to do damage. And again, Shapovalov is nineteen. He's going to physically develop, and his weapons are so great. But you just worry about him getting overwhelmed by players with big pace because uh, of that one hander. But his one hander. If there are times where I he, mean, he beat Query. So what am I saying? Exactly. Yeah. And not only that, I think one of the things he does really well with his one hander that I think is what made Federer so successful is the ability to take that one-hander off the rise. He, excuse me. Off the rise. He's really special. 
His ability to take the one-hander on the rise. He does it beautifully. And that's what you have to do with a one-hander. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful. And so I think as we see him get more comfortable with that, but also as we see him getting more comfortable with the idea of moving in, he's going to be more successful. I just worry, you know, guys like Fritz, guys like Hatchnov, just big servers will be able to keep attacking that one-handed backhand, and that's why I put him in this tier with those guys because I think he's just as good as them and can beat them on any given day, but he does have a noticeable weakness, whereas the Kyrgios's Chungs and Chorich's no weaknesses. And again, I have an anti-one-hander bias, so I know you do. Uh, that's why maybe that's what pushed him down. He does have tremendous upside, and in terms of combos, his slider out wide on the ad side plus following it in with a serve and volley, as good as any player on tour. Okay, in this tier, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players. How many do you have, Maxi? For tier three, I've got five. Okay, so I want you to name your five. So at the top of my list, I've got Andre Rublev, then we've got Tiafo, Fritz, Hachinov, and Tsitsipas. That's amazing. You want to hear my list? Yeah. Uh, so Shapovalov won in that tier. Right. Rublev, Tiafo, Fritz, Hachinov, Tsitsipas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you just look at their results, look at their game styles, all of them have the capability of being in the top 20. Okay, and so it's, I, I it's don't more want... just based off of results over the past couple exactly. years. It's, so I, it's pretty evident. I don't want to get too deep into the results because there's so many of these guys in this tier, but I want to talk about the things we notice with, with each of them and why we place them here. For Rublev, it's the forehand, right? Absolutely. His forehand will be a top 10 weapon, and we've seen it in his run to an ATP final earlier this year. He's fit enough to hang with these guys. He's made the second week of a U.S. Open. Former world number one junior. He has this mentality. He knows what it takes to win. I'm comfortable saying he will be a top 20 player on tour. Absolutely. And I think of these guys, definitely the one that I'm most comfortable with. I think I'm just most confident. The forehand? Yeah. I, I don't like his first serve percentage. I like his backhand more than I used to. It's yeah. much more consistent than I thought. And he just gets such drive on the ball. And I think he plays a smart game. He really does. I think, like you were saying, he, he was a former world number one. I think he has that kind of cocky, confident mentality. And I like I said, I think he plays smart tennis and makes me confident that he would be able to consistently pull out Ws. He's about six foot two, you know, right now, 10 and 8 on the year, but ranked number 33. We've seen him make these runs before. I, yeah, I'm very confident in his upside. That's why he's my top guy. By the way, speaking of that uh, that stat really quickly of him being 6'2". I was looking through the rankings today and the heights of the guys in the top 20. Guess how many are under 6 foot in the top 20? I'm going to guess 1. 2. Nishikori. No, he's not in the top he's 20. not in the top right 20. Now. Who are the two guys? Schwartzman. Oh, of course. I should guess that. tiny. And Gofen. And Gofen's 5'11", so it's, it's pushing it. So I think if you averaged the height of the top 20, it would be close to 6'3 or 6'4. Yeah. In terms of the reason I don't have Rublev as a tier 2 guy, I he can get angry on the court. There's no yeah, doubt. Oh, if he's still got that kind of... It's got that you know, USTA vibe at times. He's Russian, so I don't know how I got the USTA vibe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just yeah, I the, know, the junior vibe. No, totally. And you worry about the consistency a little bit, waiting for his volleys. But yeah, definitely a top guy in tier 3, you know, as well as Tiafo. We've talked... How many times have we talked about Tiafo? I mean, look, he... He plays a great game. Won an ATP he, title. Right. That's all you need to say. That's enough to say he will make the top 20. He has a big enough game. He has the weapons. We just, Again, we just got to see how he you know continues to be successful this year. He's up to 62 in the world. We've seen improvement on his forehand. It's not as risky as it used to be. I think his backhand's becoming more and more consistent. The big thing with him was always going to be his first serve, and it is a weapon now. And so you're talking about why he's in this tier. 
he will always be in serving games and just his creativity he stays in matches I know this is a very broad statement but this guy seems like a winner just the guy knows how to win points on court whatever it takes whether it's the forehand chop the backhand slice whatever it takes and I also loved his success in tiebreakers. He has been very successful in tiebreakers this year. If you look at Miami, he had six tiebreak sets and he took four out of the six. And I'll, you know, that's to me a statistic that's worth noting. If you're taking a majority or, you know, 66% of your tiebreak sets in a match, I'm a fan. Shameless plug, but Tim Smichek said one of the things he really admires about these young players is that they're just unaware that they're supposed to be nervous in these big moments. We talk about our next guy, Taylor Fritz, a guy who just bombs first serves. It seems like he's always down 15-40, and he's always hitting two first serves to get out of it. And so you can you know question that tactic as much as you want. Obviously, you don't want to be down 15-40. But both of these young Americans just seem very, very comfortable in big situations. And you look in the rankings, Tiafo's up to number 62, Fritz number 65. Both of those guys are going to get full ATP clay court seasons and just have so many opportunities to rack up points. It'll be interesting to see where the rankings go. They should both end this year. I think top 50 now has to be the goal. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And we've talked a lot about Fritz and Tiafo, so I think we should move on to our next guy. But again, they they both clearly have top 20 capabilities. We'll talk real quick, weaknesses. Why was Fritz not, and T- why are they not tier two guys? I think it's more just the success they've had against top ranked players. I think they've you know, shown that they can hang, but I haven't seen yet that kind of winning mentality where they're saying they're I don't necessarily feel like when they're out there that they think they're going to win these matches no totally fair for Fritz it's lateral you know movement that will always be an issue until it's not for me but his shots just get better and better Tiafo, I'm always going to dislike the forehands and the drop shots it's too oh, sockish and as, as fun as it is to be like Jack Sock it's also but he's hard. smarter than Sock about it I agree that's why his upside's definitely high that's why he's almost a tier two guy let's go over Hatchinov and Tsitsipas real quick Hatchinov to me I really think has a lot of upside potentials forehand's huge I think he's just missing that split second of foot speed and he would be right there he already is a pretty good mover in general but I think if he was just a split second faster he really has it Hatchinov number 37 in the world the guy we've seen win an ATP title see my thing is I think he's got a really really high floor but I don't know how much better he's going to get. The guy is pretty physically developed already. Like you mentioned, huge serve, huge forehand, overpowering ground strokes, very physically fit in terms of he managed to maintain his foot speed for the entire match. We saw him in grueling Australian Open conditions play. But yeah, you just worry. He can't really volley. You know, it's just, it's, is it going to be enough to ever allow him to be a top eight player to make a run in a second week of a slam? I just don't know. I don't think he's got the weapons of a Chung, Kyrgios, or even a Rublev, and that's why I have him a little lower on the list. Yeah, I mean, this year in Aussie Open, he took Delpo to four. Really good match. He did just win an HP 250 in France, beating Burdich and Mishka Zverev and Luka Pui. I mean, he clearly has the capability of taking out these top guys. I agree. He's one of the ones I'm more on the fence about. We agree on Tsitsipas as the bottom of this tier. Two other guys I have, though, Felix Ogier-Alassam, who we saw a little bit of at Indian Wells. Guy's physically just so imposing. I really like his game. And a guy I forgot to include earlier, Alex Dimanur, had a great run in Australia. I just love his confidence on the court. A little smaller than some of the other top guys, but definitely someone I could see cracking the okay, top Okay, so 20. really quickly about Felix Ogier-Alassam. 
The kid is 17 years old. That's what I'm saying. All right, he turned pro last year, and if you look at his record, he's barely played much outside of the Challenger Tour. I think to say that he is going to be a top 20 player right now is ambitious. He's had some good wins, I understand. You know, he took out Pospisil, he had a good match with Ranich. But if you look at his other results, I mean, he's losing to guys ranked 300 in the world in challenger matches. He lost to Krajanovic. He lost to Fabiana. I mean, he has not proven that he is going to be consistently beating top-ranked players. I will say he's super athletic. In three years, I'm going to show you this. No, look, I, I'm, I'm not saying that in three years he can't prove me wrong, but I think this is just a little spurt, and he's still too way too young to say he's going to be top 20. I'm comfortable saying top 50 right now, for sure. So you'd have him in tier four? Yeah, I have him in my, so I have him in my tier four. Makes sense. All I'm saying is I heard back in the day <clears throat> it wasn't Shapovalov everyone was excited about in Canada. It was Felix, and it just Felix has that sort of upside. You saw it with the forehand and the serve. Those are going to be ATP weapons. I agree. Again, another thing of when, not if, in my opinion. But you're right. He's a little young. All right. No breakdown for these tier four guys. Just go through your names real quick. Yeah. So I got Felix as my top guy. Then I've got Donaldson. Then I've got Opelka. Then I have Escobedo. And then I've got Mackie. Mackie? I put Mackie in there. And I know you probably don't have him in there. I just think that he's the kind of guy who will develop and will get more comfortable on the ATP tour. And he's, to me... High floor. Yeah, he, he has a high... And that's my point. As I, I think he will reach this point where he just kind of sits in the top 40. I don't know if I have, like, a... If I have a really good comparison for him, he could honestly end up being, like, a duty seller. Where Was duty ever really consistently in the top 40? I feel like he's What floated. about Jill Simone? But, like... Uh, sort of, uh, Simone's gotten too, too but high, really though. fit, goes side to side, can take you down the line, comfortable. Just a tricky game. Very smooth. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, I want to say... Simone was really good. That's, right. Yeah, and like, I want to say he'd be like a Ferrer, but Ferrer obviously was, was incredible. way yeah, too that dominant. that might be a little bit too much. So, he, I, I didn't have Mackie. I had Opelka, number one, in tier four. I had Kesmenovich, number two. And I just love Kesmenovich's game. So solid side to side. I think... To d- prescribe him as a top 40 player, just the type of guy who won't make a lot of errors. He's going to yeah. be a really tough out. And in terms of pro comparisons, at a minimum, I could see him as prime Ryan Harrison. So, like, that's a top 40 guy, right? A guy yeah, who's just physically fair. imposing, does enough to absolutely be in the top 40 and can make some runs. Of course, I think he could also climb this list. I then have Donaldson, who we've talked about at length. I then have Donaldson, Escobedo. And my last guy, Daniil Medvedev. Fair enough. I, I I definitely could see those guys in the top forty. I I, ha, I mean I obviously had Medvedev in mind as well. Guys who just missed the cut for me. Sorry, I want to do this real quick yeah, and then we can it. get on to our last thing. But guys who missed the cut again, Mackie just off. I just I worry about the weapons. You know, physically, is he able to do this? Tommy Paul, Michael Moe, We just haven't seen enough from them. And then my guy Stefan Kozlov. I know he has the weapons and the skill set to do it. It's just we got to see him play a little bit more consistently, just be a little bit more imposing from the baseline. But all these guys, tremendous upside. And the reason we do this exercise is just to show how many good young players there are. And just I want to end this segment with one quick uh, update in terms of the rankings of players born 1995 or later. Just to recap, Zverev number three, Chung number 19, Kyrgios 23, Rublev 30, Hatchinov 37, Chorch 38, Shapovalov 43, Medvedev 48, Donald 
Donaldson, 51. Tiafo 62. Tsitsipas, 63. Nikola Jerry, 64. Interesting, we didn't mention him. Mm-hmm. Taylor Fritz, 65. Maximilian Martyrer of Germany, 74. All of those guys born after in 1995 or later, all in the top 100. There is a new class of tennis players coming. Absolutely, and this is what's so fun about right now is we don't know which of these guys is going to break through. A lot of them are starting to, and they're all very different, too, in their game styles. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited as well, and one last question before we sign off. I'll do an update on the race to Milan. That's, of course, the ATP Next Gen Finals where the top eight players, 21 or under, get to go, and it's the equivalent of the World Tour Finals. Beautiful event. We saw it last year. Right now, number one Zverev. Two Fritz, three Tiafo, four Rublev, five Dimenauer, six Shapovalov, seven Tsitsipas, eight Polmans of Poland, a guy we didn't mention either. Yeah. My question to you, what is your ideal field in Milan? Oof. This is one to end on. Who are your eight favorite young players you want to see now? Would you have Zverev play or no? You don't need to see him. No, I, I think I want him to go improve himself. I could not agree more. I think more. he needs to be there. It would love it, especially if he doesn't make that second week of the Grand Slam. Just imagine him going and being like, shut up. All of you, I'm so much better than and you. And I think he should. I think if he's confident in his game, he should be comfortable enough to go out there and just whoop some ass. So who are your dream eight? I think everyone there should be in it, except I... Mm. Okay, while you're thinking of your list, I got to give you mine. First of all, it's incredible all of these guys were born 1997 or later, and they're this good at tennis. Just ridiculous. I would swap out Dimenauer for my guy Kozlov. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Kozlov's ranked 170 in the world. He hasn't done shit on tour. Oh, my God. Shut the fuck up. Don't you ever say that about Kozlov It's again. true. He just lost to Cam Nori, retired. He... <sighs> All right, well, this is my Milan finals. Okay. You can have yours. These are my eight. So Kozlov takes Dimenauer, and then Mo takes Polmans. And then we'd have one, two, three, four Americans, Shapovalov, Zverev, Rublev, Tsitsipas. I'm in heaven. That would just be everything. I think I would agree with that. Switch Polmans and Mo, and then instead of Dimenauer, put in, Paul put, in, no, put in Felix. Ooh. I, I just want to see him in there. I want to see how he would do. That was an idea and a half. Oh, I love that idea. I'm very much down for that. I would love for him to be the, the young gun underdog who just that comes in and, and so might you know, might make a run. And I think there's an Italian wild card, right? So we're only going to get seven of these guys. Yeah. But still, that would be the dream field. All right, Maxie. It has been one heck of a hardcourt run, and we look forward to getting back to the hardcourts you know, in July and August. But now we have the clay season to look forward to, and any initial thoughts for the dirt? Gut feeling, who wins the French Open right now? Roughing it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to take... Oh, I want to take team so badly, but I'm just afraid he's going to be injured. I mean, so, team just took out Djokovic. All right, I'm sticking with him then. I appreciate that. I'm taking either team or Zverev. I think one of them is going to get it done. Fair enough. All right, and on that note, there's your hot take for the podcast. I think we've done enough. Again, the specialist of shout-outs to our super producer, Max Ligner, who got a huge f***ing win against yeah, Columbia. So yeah, way to go, Max. He, hey, great shot. Shouts, as always, to the man himself, Daniel Westoff. And one last time, for myself, Alex Gruskin, for my co-host, Max Rothman. I forgot to say this earlier. Maxie, thanks for taking the time to do this. You don't have to thank me. This is a pleasure. (laughs) We say to you, hey, great shot. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. 
Alex, I'll be honest, I haven't said it to you much, but I really don't like your fashion off the court. What, you think I wear too many tennis clothes? You know, it's, I mean, yes, but <laughs> it's not that you wear too much tennis clothing. It's just you're not wearing the right type of tennis clothing. What do you mean? There's a specific brand I should be wearing? You clearly haven't heard of the new tennis cloth company called Cross Court Threads. Cross Court Threads, is that going to be something with knitting? No, not exactly, although they do use high quality material. In fact, they have some pretty unbelievable designs on their website. You're the one who criticizes my clothing, so uh, I'll leave the design choices up to you. What do they got? They've got an awesome Rebel Legend tee with the all-famous Andre Agassi on it, rocking the nice lechuga out the back. Lechuga, oh my Oh, let me tell you, he's got some beautiful flow. But look, (laughs) if you're more of a hat guy, they've also got a nice 40 love hat with some beautiful cursive, but they also have a love all hat for those who are more of that kind of peacemaking kind of vibe. Oh, absolutely. What about for the truckers out there? Any trucker hats? Oh yeah, they've got a trucker hat, a beautiful logo trucker hat with the cross threads logo on it. And you know, I keep it low-key, but sometimes I wear leggings on the courts. Anything for me? They've got some racer leggings that look perfect for that nice round butt of yours. Goes up to XXL? <laughs> that it does. Oh, awesome. But you know what else they've got, Alex? What's that? They've got a preferred player program. Ooh, preferred? Yeah. Now let me tell you, if you like the designs on the website, if you are also a current and active member of the USTA, you can apply to become a cross-court threads preferred player. And you know what comes with it? I don't. What is it? Qualifying applicants will receive the opportunity to custom build these awesome designs into a custom package of four items, and they'll come at a steep 25% discount. Well, you know, Maxie, while my USTA player number may still be active, I consider myself more in the retired phase, more analyst than player. Also, as you can see right now, I've still got the face for the game. So if there is a way for me to be an Instagram ambassador for cross-court threads, you know, maybe flaunt the gear I'm wearing, not necessarily pick the designs. Is there a program for me to do that? You can be a brand ambassador in the brand ambassador program. Look, it's a four-month program. And you seem like the perfect candidate as someone who's a frequent wearer of tennis. I mean, it sounds like the program for me. Where can I apply? You can apply right on their website, crosscourtthreads.com. And check this out. If you subscribe to their email list, you'll get 10% off. It's crosscourtthreads.com? That it is, crosscourtthreads.com. Crosscourtthreads.com. You know what, Alex? I liked that bit the first time, but let me just remind the listeners, it's crosscourtthreads without the dash, just crosscourtthreads.com. I know what you're getting me for my birthday. Oh, yeah? What is that? Crosscourtthreads.com. A great shot production.